baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Are we getting mean? Lee, what do you think? I think we're getting frustrated. <laughs> and I, I think that that's been, you know, that's been happening. We went through the pandemic. We came out of it. And some of us were relieved and grateful and thankful and ready to move on. And some of us liked it there and liked that isolation and liked that, that ability to be so in for. And we're stuck there. And I think that we are all, on some level, experiencing a high level of frustration. So you think it's more frustration than maybe becoming, I don't know, more narcissistic or, um, I don't know, aggressive, or some people say we're, we're getting too tribal. So what do you attribute to this? Well, I do think there's something else going on as well. And I have a really hard time with entitlement. Mm. It's, and, but I do think that some of us fought hard and we felt like that we lost a lot and we came through it and we're entitled to claim our space. We're entitled to take, take ownership of ourselves and the space that we're in. Oh, well put. You know, I know there have been studies where they said that um, there there was one study as we were just coming out of the pan, you know, now that we're coming out of and post-pandemic, even though here in Philadelphia, they're making me nervous because they keep talking about COVID cases rising. I'm like, oh, no. Um, But, you know, there was one study with a thousand American adults that said 48 percent of adults, 55 percent of workers, um, you know, they... They expected that civility in America would improve, you know, post-pandemic. And I I thought that was interesting as post-pandemic, they thought, yeah, things will get better as far as being more polite. But I think part of it as well, not not just what you're talking about, which is this entitlement, but and I'm a mom of teenage kids and my youngest, you know, we we have to say all the time, you know, get off your phone. Because sometimes they're on the phone, and that's another form of being rude, even if you don't realize they have their earbuds in. So they might be, quote-unquote, on their phone. They're listening to something streaming with with even one earbud in the ear. And I think that's a piece of this, too, that sometimes you perceive somebody as being rude or mean. Maybe they're not even listening or paying attention. They're on, they're on their phone one way or the other. I think you make a very good point. You know, our level of self-awareness, some of us have a high level and some of us don't, and how we interpret other people's actions. And I think that we have become a little bit quicker to judge mm-hmm. because we went to a period in time where judgment was a part of our daily life. Is this a good decision? Do I this? Do I do that? And so I think that's left us in a, I think we're a little bit quicker to judge, and I think that feeds into it. Yeah, and I wonder as well if it's regional. 
So, you know, when I've lived all, I've lived in Philadelphia most of my adult life, but I've lived all over the country. When I was a kid, we just moved around a lot. So whether it was in the Midwest, lived in the South and in uh, North Carolina for a time when I was, you know, 10 to 16, age 10 to 16, I lived in North Carolina and then we moved back up North. So I will say some of this is a perception about culture and region. You know, I think that that Southern charm, the politeness of yes, sir, no, although although nowadays I don't even know if you're allowed to say yes, sir, or no, ma'am, with all the pronoun stuff going on. But in the South, polite in the Midwest, that Midwestern kind of way. So I do wonder if it, some of it's perception or regional. Do you think? Well, I think that could play into it. But then when I look at things like road rage and that's universal and that's that is amazing to me. And I'm in Texas, and we've had some, North Texas has grown, so it's, we're like a melting pot of different cultures. But I do know, my husband grew up in North Carolina, and I can remember visiting there for every summer when we our kids were young and thinking, oh, there's the nicest people in the world here. <laughs> They're just so nice. <laughs> and it's and I think part of it was they moved at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They weren't so reactionary, you know. And I, I do think that that play, that that timing, your expectations, what your norm is, does play into it. Yeah. What do you? And I know that that officially you're a licensed professional counselor and the founder of the the Brain Performance Center. So as far as counseling goes do you advise people to you know if they're feeling some of this some of the level of frustration no matter what that is um whether it's frustration because of for example lee here in philadelphia the the shutdowns i do talk to people who say you know we shut down we we had to shut down our business because of the mandates and we lost so much or we closed our business and we did an early retirement, that sort of thing. Whether it's the pandemic-related or, or the other issues, even the divisive, you know, politics of the day. What do you think about somebody to, you know, somebody who might have a stigma about going to any kind of counseling? What would you say to that? Well, that stigma is huge. That stigma is an elephant. And I've been eating that elephant one bite at a time <laughs> for a long time. And, and what I tell people is you have to think of your mental health. It's your brain. Think your brain is an organ just like your heart. Mm-hmm. And if you think there's something wrong with your heart, you are on it. You have got an appointment made with a cardiologist and your utmost attention. If something's wrong with your brain, oh, man, I just don't know if I can go to work today. I just don't know. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. I mean, we have, we address it in the most inappropriate way with nasty conversations with ourselves. And we've got to realize the heart and the brain are organs, just like the skin is an organ. And you've got to think of your brain as taking care of yourself. As we get older, you know, I'm probably one of the worst. I've got my morning routine for my skin. I've got my evening routine for my skin. Do we ever think about our brain? Do we ever stop and do our our evening gratefulness, maybe our morning meditation or journal 
or those are things that I use to balance my mental health. But there's hundreds, you know, of others. And I think that we just, as a society, I'm finishing a Ph.D. in February, and I got that from getting that Ph.D. because I want to create social change around brain health. It is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to do nothing about it. I love it. And and this, you know, my goodness, your Ph.D. and your speaking out is so timely as we speak with Lee Richardson because Post-pandemic, you know, there are, so, there are reports every single day that I'm talking about. For example, one of the latest is that three influential groups of pediatricians and emergency medicine providers are just publicly, you know, pleading. This is just this morning that I had seen this story and really a plea from these groups saying they need more support, more resources because of the number of especially children and teenagers with major mental health concerns that are overwhelming emergency departments, and that's across the country. And so we need to have the conversation, not just for the adults, but for the kids and the teens, especially post-pandemic. Absolutely, and this is a true statistic. Before the pandemic, one out of four suffered from either mental health or substance abuse problem. That's pre-pandemic. Think about what that is now. The first year of the pandemic, they report that depression and anxiety went up 25%. So is, is a piece of this, I mean, from your level of expertise and knowing this, and, you know, you've, you've got the so-called boots on the ground. I mean, you're, you're on the front lines of this, Lee. Is, is a piece of this level of, you know, hopelessness or self-harm issues, sadness, disappointment, frustration, is a piece of this because people are so much on social media and, and during the pandemic, we're going to that phone or going to that computer and it became a, a piece of, of all of our lives, even for work, because a lot of people were Zooming. And so is, do you think this is in part driven by the social media? Well, I'll tell you what I think about social media. It creates a comparative society. And when you compare You've got a winner and a loser. I love it. I love that. And and that's, I always say to people, you know, if I, t- I have wooden floors and then some in parts of my foyer, there's, you know, where I need to get, get them redone a little bit. If I take a photograph, it looks beautiful. If somebody takes a photograph of an event, like, oh, we're here and their life looks so great. It's because in that snapshot, they're making it look like the best thing ever. And you're not seeing all the warts and bumps is my point. But sometimes I think if you're home and you're not invited to whatever your friends or whatever it was that you couldn't go to, I do think sometimes social media has that impact. You think, oh, I miss that. Look at that. It looks amazing. Well, not so much. It really wasn't that amazing. Like sometimes I want people to be like, yeah, it was fun. It was great to be there. But you know what? It it wasn't that great. (laughs) And you never see that because people always want to make it look like, oh, my gosh, this was the best thing ever. And so we, and so when you think about that and somebody's already having some loneliness issues, or especially if it's a teenager or a kid and they missed out on something, I think it just supersizes all of, the, all of that emotion. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, we always find what we're looking for. So if we get on our social media and we're looking for the latest and the greatest and the best, we're going to find it. But then when we start that self-comparison, yeah. that's 
that's where the negativity comes in. What do you, you mentioned road rage, and that's a huge, I know that's a huge problem here and across the country. We hear about it all, all of the time, unfortunately, to the point, I don't even know what my, my horn sounds like on my Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> you know, I will not honk at anyone because of that road rage element that I think if somebody's driving a little aggressively around me, I'm, I'm pulling over and just letting them pass. Because you never know if somebody's going to throw something at you, God forbid, you know, shoot at your vehicle. It, it's happening more and more. It absolutely is. And I think your strategy is a very, <laughs> a very smart strategy. Let it go. Ask yourself, was it really that big a deal that they pulled in front of me? No. You know, so always stop and ask, is it really that big a deal? Because really, it's not. And the consequences, to me, it's not worth facing the consequences. Yeah, and I, you know, Lee, I love your story that you became a brain health coach and a consultant because of a family, a personal situation, um, your motivation as a mom, because your your son had suffered a, a brain injury or a traumatic um, head injury. Can you talk about that and how this all began for you and in this journey, what you've learned, the lessons learned? Absolutely. And when my boys are now 35, so I'm going mm-hmm. to go ahead and date myself <laughs> when they when they were in second grade, when I have twins, one got hit by a car and the other one actually watched it. Didn't know who I was more worried about, but we got through it. We went to the emergency room and he never even lost consciousness. Went to the ER and they said, oh, you know, if this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. It's all good. So we're all good until fifth grade comes along. And in fifth grade, he comes to me and he says, Mom, you, you got to help me. Oh, honey, fifth grade's a really hard year. And he said, Mom, you're not listening to me. And I said, you're right. I'm not. So I sat down, and he goes on for like 15 minutes. And I'm like, he's got this figured out. So I listen until he has nothing else to say. And I'm like, so you've got this figured out. And he says, yeah, I do. Well, tell me. He's like, well... I've I've decided I have ADHD. At this point in time, I've never heard of it. I'm running a human resource consulting firm that I owned. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. How did you figure that out? And he's like, I got on the Internet. And, you know, (laughs) oh, my God, not the Internet. (laughs) But I said, okay, okay, I got this. And I went to the school, and I talked to a counselor, and the counselor said, your kid doesn't have ADHD. Your kid's never failed anything. Your kid's never been a behavior problem. Your kid's lazy. And I said, okay, my kid wants me to help him. What can I do? And she said, put him on Ritalin. I said, so there's nothing wrong with my kid, and you're telling me to give my kid speed. Why would I do that? And she said, well, that's the only thing you can do. So, you know, out comes the mom Mm -hmm. detective looking for an answer, and I found a neurologist in Dallas that did neurofeedback and did some research, and, you know, I thought, I think this can help him. And when I started to see him get, you know, what I thought first was him starting to get his confidence back, and that meant more to me than any grades. But I thought, you know, I've been in ICU, and when those twins were two, I fell, And when I came out of ICU, they told me, you've lost your sense of smell. And at the time, I was thankful. I've got to see. I've got to hear. Smell. Who cares? 
but there's more attached to a sense of smell, emotional memory, and you know, there was more to it than I thought. So I'm, I'm there twice a week w- with my son, and I thought maybe, maybe this can help me get my sense of smell back, and it did. And that's when I decided, you know what? This is the greatest thing in the world. I'm doing a big career change. And in 2005, got board certified, ended up working for that neurologist, and then in 2009, started my started the Brain Performance Center. But I've seen, it's so amazing when you can see that, when you just calm that brain down, get that brain in a regulated state, life gets so much better on on an emotional level, a cognitive level, a spiritual letter level, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so, and and for for people who want to read more about you, I know you're the author of "Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On," and you're as well an international speaker on this, and and you know, obviously very popular. Whether it's television, your syndicated radio host as well. But so just to just to back up with your son, so. You did not put your son on the meds. Instead, you were looking for alternatives. What are we talking about here when, with your, whether it's with your son or with now, with now patients or clients? Well, and, and I didn't put my son on the meds because meds have never worked for me. You give me an antibiotic and I get a red rash on my face. <laughs> so it's never been my first line of treatment. It's not going to be the first thing I do. I'm going to try to come at it more organically and more holistically. And and another thing I've learned over the years is that people are, medication is more complicated Mm -hmm. than we originally thought. When it came out, it was wonderful. It was the magic pill. But then we learned, you know, that it works for a while. But then you get side effects, and then you add another medication, and then right. then and it just gets complicated. So I think that people are looking for for a more natural way to create change in their brain. So, and so it's, give it's me an there. example. So give me an example when you say you know organically. How do you, give give us an example so we can understand? Are you talking about exercise, nutrition? certain mental exercises what are, what are we talking about here so all of those play into it you know your your fundamental is your sleep and your your nutrition but at the brain performance center the first thing we do is we take up uh, we map what's going on in the brain we look at the neuroplasticity we look at the power distribution we look at coherence how there's information the face the timing we compare it to a quant- to a database and that gives us and that's what gives us the data, the comparison. It works off a bell-shaped curve. Are you one standard deviation, overactivated or underactivated, all the way out to three? And then technology is amazing. We can, I, I have become the software queen <laughs> because it's the way that you can analyze the data. It's just you can identify the networks and the hubs in the brain that are the most out of balance. And then you train them with neurofeedback. And there's a lot of good information on the website, the Brain Performance Center. Mm-hmm. I'm on LinkedIn, Lee Richardson. And there's a lot of good information out there. We have a YouTube channel for people that just want to learn a little bit more 
about what is neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. How do you create neuroplasticity in the brain? How do you get the brain to change? I would encourage, you know, not only to look at the Brain Performance Center YouTube, but there's a lot of information out there. Well, I, I encourage people to, to stick with the science. There's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't necessarily have the scientific back, backing. So anything that has science behind it, I am all about. Well, Lee, I hope you come back. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by you, your journey, and what you're doing. And I know so many, so many families who right now are going through exactly what you're talking about, who have a middle school-aged child. The schools often will say, well, hey, your kid, there are behavioral issues, nothing horrible, but, you know, you should put them on meds. You should put them on the Ritalin because sometimes that's the first thing that maybe the school will say because then you medicate the kid and so they're sitting there they're not they're not a quote they're not quote unquote an issue i'm not even talking about behaviorally you know acting out or doing anything horrible but i see i'm hearing this more and more and so my spidey senses as a parent much like you were saying with your kids with your son your spidey senses told you your mom instinct told you wait a minute back up let me look at this and I, and I think that's important. I think it is, too. And I think that, it, you know, it doesn't bring me joy to say this, but we have to be, we have to advocate for our own yeah. mental and physical health. We have got to be the one that stands up and says, you know what? I tried that. It didn't work. I'm not doing it anymore. Well, Lee Richardson, I I hope this is the first time of many conversations. Thank you so much for joining me today and and for enlightening us on this. Lee Richardson, the Brain Performance Center, the author of Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. Lee, thank you so much. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 